The Arizona Coyotes open the NHL's most unique new rink. We've got that, plus the Detroit Red Wings are surprising a lot of people, and the Boston Bruins are dominating all this and more on today's Locked On NHL podcast. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to the Monday edition of the Locked On NHL podcast. Gil Martin, so glad you could join us today. And thank you for making Locked On NHL your first listen today. We are free and available on all platforms. The Arizona Coyotes opened up the most unique arena in the NHL. They had their home opener over the weekend. And the co-host of Locked On Coyotes, Robin Leano, was there. Robin, Welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to have you. What was it like being inside a college arena hosting an NHL game for the first time? You know, it was it, it was really unique. I really like didn't know what to expect going in there. I knew a lot of people were going to be talking down about this situation because it's a college arena. It is it is small. It is nice and cozy and it's intimate. Um, but I think that's what makes it unique and that's the novelty of it. You know, going in there the fan, all the fans were packed, all 4,600 fans and then some because there were media personnel, there were a lot of scouts. So many different people were there, and it just the liveliness was there. It was loud, and I think the reason why it was loud because the sound had nowhere to go because it's so much smaller. So you have all that, um, all that noise everywhere. People were going to say, like, oh, you know, not very many fans, not going to have noise. But no, it was loud. <laughs> And how do you think the players responded to this atmosphere? And obviously, you know, it takes all teams a little bit of time to get used to any new arena. I saw that with the Islanders last year at UBS. But how do you think the players responded to this unique situation? You know, I think a lot of players um, so far have, you know, embraced it in a lot of ways. You know, they're like, yeah, you know, like, um, you know, this is definitely not even the worst situation that we've been in. Like, this is like, you know, this actually is, the, you know, it's loud. It's it's nice to be here. Um, you know, there are some things that probably aren't, or, you know, aren't ideal. But like, well, you know, we take this as, a, as, as the situation is. And in addition to that, you know, there have been some quotes even from the opposing team of actually praising the situation. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Winnipeg Jets actually said in a post-game interview that the Mullet Arena ice is actually some of the best ice in the NHL that he's skated on. Pretty impressive, considering you're in the middle of the desert. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty good. And, uh, and believe me, uh, as someone who has covered New York area hockey, that is not something we hear very often, even in New York, where it gets pretty cold over the winter. And, and the Coyotes, you know, they picked up a point in the game. They played pretty well, went to overtime. Your early assessment on how the season is starting for the Coyotes so far? Yeah, you know, the Coyotes have had a lot of, you know, a lot of ups and downs this season. A lot of things that we expected. We knew they were going to really struggle this year. We knew the the team was rebuilding. I looked at the way that they start games, and they just kind of made me depressed for a while. Um, but their game against... 
Columbus last week, um, and then their game against Winnipeg, even though they lost. Uh, you know, I think they looked better. They didn't play a full 60-minute game like I like uh, you know we're trying to hope for, but um, they started good, which is fine. Um, but then they started taking penalties. I think that's the biggest issue. They're ta- you know this is a team that's taken way too many penalties, um, and it's going at to bite them in the end. They don't have they have one of the worst penalty kills in the league, despite also their power play being one of the better ones in the league. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about Shane Gostisbehere. I mean, he is off to a heck of a start, and he has almost double the number of shots on goal of the next highest player on the Coyotes roster right now. Yeah, Shane Gostisbehere has really looked amazing. I, like at the game that I was, you know, that I was at just on just on Friday, um, we were seeing him like you know jump up because you know you know a forward was out of position like he would jump up and, and literally right and be where you know someone should be uh, and just his presence even if he's not taking a shot just his presence is really felt on the ice and we're really just like oh my god like this guy looks like he wants to you know really show him show his value and maybe just ended up getting traded away again and for for really good value because Maybe he finds a team, a, a team that's like, hey, we could use a kid like Shane Gottesberg. How concerned are you about the goaltending on this team? And is is the overall goals against more a goaltending problem or a team defensive problem? Uh, I, you know, I think goaltending is doing the best they can. I mean, I'm not saying that like Karelve Melka and uh, and uh, Connor Ingram are like, you know, world movers of really of good goaltenders. They're not. Um, they still have a long ways to go, but I still I think the majority of the issue is on the Arizona Coyotes defense. There isn't like outside of Shane Gostisbehere, there really isn't much there. Jacob Chikrin has been on the injured reserve since the beginning of the season, um, and you don't have as much presence there in general outside of that. Uh, Dyson Mayo hasn't looked great. JJ Mosier, he's still a really young guy, but like, and he's looked okay, but like, you know you could still see his flaws as a young kid. So like this team, the defense is just not there. The arena experience, you know, you were at the home opener. What are some of the things that make a game at the mullet arena, a special experience for fans? Um, You know, I think it is just the, uh, you know, the embracing of Arizona state. You know, I think the fact that they, the fact that they have a student section, um there like in the like right behind the um one of the nets and it's really cool to see because you have like you know fans coming from all around the country you know you see a lot of different backgrounds someone said you know someone pointed out the different jerseys that you saw there yeah they're not all wearing coyote jerseys but you saw a sharks jersey you saw you know a uh a chief's jersey you saw um you know like rangers jerseys you like you see things from all around, you know, all around the country. And it's really cool to see a bunch of kids, a bunch of college kids coming to watch hockey at a cheap price and just contributing to the noise. Cause we know college kids kind of are the most rowdy kids out there. And it kind of, it, it, it kind of, you know, moved around in the, the rest of the, the rest of the crew. How about traditions? Are there any specific traditions that they're starting? I mean, I know it's only been one game, but but what are they looking to do that's going to be unique besides the student section to this arena? 
Um, you know, it's hard to see you know, to uh, you know say exactly like any traditions like um, exactly. I know they're uh, they've embracing in general just the uh, you know e- even though different spelling, but the mullet you know on their home opener they gave away mullet wigs, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was absolutely hilarious. Um, but you know, one thing I'm um, you know didn't work out this last game, but like I know it's a very popular. Um, you know, chant in college. And I know it's, it was done when they were at Healy River, but well, it wasn't as loud, but I'm sure once the, you know, the games get going, the home games get going, you know, it's going to get louder. You're going to, you're going to notice it is the classic, you know, that he shoots, he scores, Hey goalie, you suck chant, you know, and it's <laughs> it, everyone, college students and professional and hockey, just hockey fans here in Arizona, just love that chant. And they just do it at the, whatever the opportunity they get. All right, should be interesting and some great hockey ahead at the Mullet Arena. Robin, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they can find the podcast and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, you can find the uh, the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify. We're also on the Odyssey app and on YouTube, on social media at LO underscore Coyotes uh, on Twitter. And myself is at Robin underscore Leano. All right, Robin, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. Today's episode is brought to you by your friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, hockey, and golf. Hey, maybe you've got a feeling about a hot goaltender or you want to put a little extra something on your favorite team's game to make it more exciting and interesting for you. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show the host of Locked On Red Wings, Brian Fisher. And Brian, big win for Detroit over the weekend. Why was this win over Minnesota so important to the Red Wings this early part of the season? Well, because it proved that they can beat teams that are expected to be at least playoff caliber teams. The team got out to a hot start. Uh, They were 3-0-2 before facing a real bona fide contender in Boston Bruins. Their one, one of their overtime losses was to the Los Angeles Kings, and they stole that point off of a great play from Dylan Larkin. So they had yet to beat a team that was expected to be a playoff team, and they lost big to the New Jersey Devils, 5-2. to two, And the New Jersey Devils had great underlying numbers that had finally came to a head against a bad, a bad game from Detroit. Boston came in the town. They committed seven penalties and the Bruins with Marshawn back is not going to let that slide. They scored three power play goals, but Derek Lulong went back to uh, Billy Huso for the first time this season. He's gone back to the same goalie in back-to-back games, trusting that that game against Boston was because they took a lot of penalties and not because of a poor performance. He was rewarded. Uh, Billy Huso stopped 30 shots of 31 against the Minnesota wild, just allowing one goal. And I understand the Minnesota wild are off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, I believe now they are three and five after the loss of the Detroit Red Wings, but they're a team I expect to make the playoffs, especially with a guy like Kirill Kaprizov who can shoot the way he does. He had the lone goal for the Minnesota wild. 
but Detroit stayed neck and neck with them the entire game, and they got offense from a guy they hadn't gotten offense yet this season in Lucas Raymond. He scored both goals in the game, his first two of the season, one of which was on a power play, and that's another thing that helped propel them is the Red Wings in the game against Boston and New Jersey could not take advantage of chances. They hit three posts against Boston. They hit two against Minnesota, but Lucas Raymond went out there. He scored his first off a wonderful shot. He scored a second on the power play, going one for three on the power play. And me and Scotty talk about it on Lockdown Runnings all the time. If this team wants to succeed, they're going to have to convert on their power play opportunities. They didn't do that all last season. So far this year, I think they're 21st in the league. They're getting yeah. a lot of opportunities, just struggling to convert but they're getting better opportunities and they've now scored power play goals in multiple games. And it looks a lot improved. Their penalty kill was perfect up until the New Jersey game. They left three against the game against Boston. I just want to wipe the one against Boston off the map. Like that was, that was a horrible game from Detroit in a lot of different ways, but they came out in this game and a lot of the things Scotty and I talked about, they needed to improve on. They improved on, they played better defensively. Goaltending showed up. They only committed two penalties, which, you know, it's, Hard to give up power play goals when you only, when you take less penalties, right? Like that's you take less penalties, you get scored on less, and they just looked better overall. You got offense from guys you weren't getting offense from, like Lucas Raymond. So it was just overall a great response from the Detroit Red Wings to snap a two game losing skid and just get off on the right foot foot for what is a tough stretch. Yeah, tough stretch coming up. How concerned? I know it's still early. We're eight games into the season, but how concerned are you about the backup goaltending of Alex Nedeljkovic? Um, not too worried, to be honest. He last year he was inconsistent for sure. He would go out there. I think he had a forty-six game or forty-six shot shutout against the Boston Bruins uh, last year. He looked absolutely great, phenomenal in that game. It was Boston or Carolina. My my memory is a little uh, affecting me here, but he had a forty-six shot shutout in that game. And then he would have games where he'd let in three or four off some like easy goals. But he's got a lot of potential. He's young yet for a goaltender. He's only twenty-six years old, and even if he is just a backup and he's a really good backup to have. And that's what this season is kind of trying to figure out. Steve Eisman in the office made the decision. He's not completely comfortable with Nadelkovic as a starter, went out and treated a third round pick for uh Vili Husso. And so far Vili Husso's looked better. Vili Husso earned his second consecutive start. Um, and I would argue that he probably deserves a third after how well he played against the wild in the game against Buffalo on Monday. But, I'm not really that concerned about it because even if he ends up being a backup, he's still a really good backup to have. We talked about the overall positive start that Detroit is off to this year. What has been the catalyst for the early season success? It's a great question. Honestly, new acquisitions. Steve Eisman went out there and spent a lot of money on cap space this year. I mean, they came in with the most cap space uh, in the league, I believe, or second most cap space in the league, maybe behind the Anaheim Ducks. And he went out and spent a lot of it. They only have $9 million left. They still have to extend Bertuzzi and still have to expend, extend Larkin. Thank God the cap's going up. But they got Cop, they got Perron, they got Kubalik. Um, they got Ben Sherrod on the back end. They got Mott on the back end. Pissick on the back end, who's out because he tore his Achilles, unfortunately, right after signing. But those guys, you know, Sons. Uh, Pissick have been phenomenal. Oli Mata was off to a hot start. He's not an offensive defenseman, but he was getting a lot of points early in the season. Um, he cooled off a little since then. Ben Sherratt's been a great person to pair with Moritz Sider as they just go around and they beat people up in front of the net. It's been fun. And Kubalik and Perron have been scoring so much. Kubalik's the leading scorer on the Detroit Red Wings coming into the Minnesota Wild game. I haven't checked since then, but coming into the Minnesota Wild game, he had uh, 10 points on seven game in seven games. I think it's probably now 10 points in eight games because he didn't get a point against Minnesota. 
but he's been scoring at a high rate. David Perron's been scoring at a high rate, and they're a big reason why the power play for the Red Wings is so much better because they both get in their respective circles. You feed them one-timers, and they score. And when they play in the same power play, they just both sit in the circles and pass the puck back and forth <laughs> and shoot the puck. And they've been – the new acquisitions for the Detroit Red Wings have been, like, the key reason why they're producing so much more offense, scoring at such a higher rate than they did last year. And yet, you know, we talked before we started recording, you had some concerns also as far as what you've seen over the first eight games. What are the areas that have you the most concerned as far as the long term is concerned? I mean, my biggest concern is the same as it was last year, defense. Uh, their defense is on paper much improved, but, you know, when you go from the team that gave up the most goals against for 60 from last year, it's not a high bar to step over. <laughs> you got the acquisitions of Ben Sherratt. You got the acquisition of Olimata, um, and they've been good. But does that make them a great defensive core? No, it doesn't. I mean, Olimato was signed to a one, maybe two-year deal. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he isn't a long-term solution on that second pairing with Philip Peronic. Ben Sherratt was signed for four years, so he is supposed to be a long-term solution. But this defensive core, your third pairing, you're rotating Robert Haig, who is another acquisition for one year. You're rotating Osterley and Lindstrom, and that third pairing is kind of weak to be honest the second pairing has games where they're on and off the only consistent pairing so far has been Ben Sherratt and Moritz Sider in terms of you know um capability on the top pair they've been a very good top pair so far but those other two pairings have been you know like I said Olimata and Phil Peronik have been hot and cold they played great against Minnesota they played horrible against Boston that third pairing is a rotation because they can't figure out what's the best lineup and I, I want to mark once Mark Pissick gets healthy, I'm sure that'll settle down because Pissick's a solid defenseman. He's a defensive defenseman, solid depth defenseman. But until he comes back, it's going to be kind of a rotation, a carousel of players back there. And it does worry me because a lot of the times they get torched on the outside, breaking towards the net. It's just, and they struggle to take care of the bodies in front. They, they are definitely the biggest weakness on the team, better than last year. But again, low bar to step over. All right, <clears throat> Brian, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? Well, they can find us anywhere. You can listen to your podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on the Odyssey app. Uh, obviously, if you're more privy to visuals, we're on YouTube as well. And uh, you can find me at Brian Fisher, WWJ on Twitter. My co-host, Skentley, my co-host, Scotty, as I combined his first and last names there into Skentley. My co-host Scotty is on Twitter at Bentley Scotty and our podcast is at LO underscore Red Wings on Twitter. So we'll be there. We're covering every single game, just like every other show on lockdown. We have a new episode five days a week. So uh, stay tuned if you want to listen to some good Red Wings content. All right, Brian Fisher, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you. There may not be a hotter team in the National Hockey League right now than the Boston Bruins. They are playing dominating hockey. And Ian McLaren of Locked On Boston Bruins is with us to talk about that. And Ian, uh, it's like I look up and down this team. I've watched them play. What's the weakness here? I mean, they are firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy because, of course, coming into the season, they were going to be without – Charlie McAvoy for quite some time. The expectation was that Brad Marchand would be out until after Thanksgiving. He's been able to play one game so far and looked amazing in that one game after off-season double hip surgery. Uh, I thought they'd be, you know, still okay. Uh, 
coming into the season without those two guys, a lot of people expected them to maybe take a step back and certainly perhaps struggle without those two guys because they are such integral pieces to the team. Uh, nobody saw this kind of start coming, and it's uh, it's a testament to a whole bunch of a uh, bunch of people beginning with a uh, brand new head coach, uh, Jim Montgomery, who certainly is in the, the Jack Adams conversation here very early on this season. What has Montgomery done that lifted this team's performance? I think one of the things, well, for, for certain guys, he kind of uh, just gave them a fresh start. You think of a guy like Jake DeBrusque, who was a bit at odds with former head coach Bruce Cassidy. He's looked like he was shot out of the cannon to begin the season and has looked as good um, as we've ever seen him, perhaps. Uh, not, you know, He's not scoring every night, but he's certainly getting his chances and, um, yeah, looks just very aggressive out there and, and ready to contribute on a consistent basis. Uh, one of the main things that Jim Montgomery has done is encouraged his defensemen to get more involved in the offense. Uh, he's relied heavily on Hampus Lindholm uh, so far, who Don Sweeney acquired before the deadline last season. That's proving to be uh, a very important piece to the puzzle early on. Um, and with Matt Grizzlick coming back, you see even Derek Forbort getting involved in the offense at times. Uh, that was one of their big weaknesses last season was a lack of creativity, a lack of offense from the blue line. And they're getting not only contributions up and down the forward core, but also from the defensemen. And that's uh, certainly helping them with their league leading offense uh, at the moment, for sure. Yeah. League leading offense and a lot of balance. I mean, just a lot of different players contributing. I mean, you have the usual suspects, your Pasternak's, your Bergeron's, your Krejci's, and then, you know, a guy like Nick Foligno, who has mm -hmm. three goals already, Charlie Coyle, who has three goals. It seems like up and down the lineup, players are contributing offensively. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think everybody kind of looked at uh, the Bruins' top six this season and thought it would be very good um, among the best in the Eastern Conference. Uh, especially with Brad Marchand back healthy and then David Krejci coming back into the mix. Uh, a key for this team was always going to be how the bottom six performed. Uh, a healthy, rejuvenated Nick Foligno is kind of being counted on to be uh, the de facto leader of the bottom six. Uh, and yeah, he has looked, I mean, he's already scored more this season than he did all of last season, just to put in perspective how important his contributions have been. Uh, Charlie Coyle has scored two of the nicest Bruins goals this season in consecutive games here coming into the weekend. Uh, so if they can get some production out of the bottom six to go along with uh, their top six, then you know that's the kind of thing that, that wins championships. You look back to the Bruins teams that have gone far in the playoffs and uh, the bottom six, their contributions always seem to be just as important as the, as the top six. And you need that uh, depth and balance to, to succeed in today's NHL for sure. Another thing you need to succeed in today's NHL, obviously goaltending. It mm -hmm. wasn't clear to everyone who the number one goalie would be, but here we are, uh, you know, a mere nine games into the season. And I think 
it's pretty clear who's the number one right now. Yeah, I mean, Linus Olmark, um, I talked about this a lot last season. He kind of got off to a rough start with the Boston Bruins. And it's kind of understandable in hindsight. You know, he was moving from the only team he had ever played with, a new city, new system, new teammates. It takes some time for players to, you know, players are human. It takes them, you do a big move like that. It takes all of us some time to get uh, settled. Coming into this season, the expectation was that he and Jeremy Swayman would pretty much split time in net 50-50, and that could still happen. Uh, I think Jeremy Swayman still has the potential to to be a starting goalie in the NHL. Uh, but right now, Linus Olmark looks as good as anybody around the league. Uh, perfect 6-0-0 record, a 9.45 save percentage. He's not only become the number one goalie in Boston, but he's, I mean, it's so early to be talking about award consideration, but you can't help but uh, think that he's in the, in the Vesna conversation here early on with his, uh, with his performance. And he has certainly helped to um, just stabilize things for the Bruins and help them to keep their focus moving in the other direction on the ice, just giving them that confidence that, that he's going to make those key saves at uh, at big moments. You know, one thing that maybe goes unnoticed a lot, but this Bruins team has been outstanding in the faceoff circle. And the pr- player most responsible for that so far, Patrice Bergeron, uh, absolutely winning almost two-thirds of his draws. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that little underappreciated part of the game and, and, and what Bergeron's success in the dot means. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody wants the puck, and the easiest way to to get it is to win a faceoff. I know a lot of people, analytics community, uh, they kind of downplay the importance of winning faceoffs. But you want the puck, you want possession. With Patrice Bergeron out there, if there's a faceoff, you know that you're going to get the puck to the Bruins when he's out on the ice and. You know, David Krejci adds to that as well. Uh, you have a guy like Charlie Coyle, Thomas Nosek. Uh, that's one of his strengths as well. And even in Krejci's absence, you had a guy like Pavel Zaka step in, and he can win the odd faceoff as well. So, uh, yeah, that's an underrated part of the game for sure. And Patrice Bergeron not only leads the way for the Bruins, but he also helps the other centers in that position, as does uh, assistant coach Chris Kelly, who was well known for his uh, prowess in the faceoff circle as well. All right. Uh, Ian, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? Yeah, people can find me at Ian C. McLaren uh, on Twitter and uh, the podcast Locked On Boston Bruins available wherever you get your podcasts, uh, as well as on YouTube and locked NHL Bruins on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Ian, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. No problem, Gil. Thanks so much for having me. I want to thank you again for making Locked On NHL your first listen. For your next listen, check out Lock On the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On NHL podcast. I want to thank my guests, Robin Leano, the host of Locked On Arizona Coyotes, Brian Fisher of Locked On Red Wings, and Ian McLaren of Locked On Boston Bruins. I'm Gil Martin. Don't forget, we are here every Monday through Friday with all the biggest stories from around the National Hockey League. Have a great day, everyone, and thanks for listening to the Locked On NHL podcast.